Hello and welcome. You're listening to episode number 39 of Inglorious Artists with me, Peter Holland. And today I'm talking to acclaimed and prolific casting director, Nancy Bishop. This is definitely a first. I haven't had any casting directors on the show before, and I am so pleased that I get to now because I really consider you guys to be creative, artistic people uh, in your own right, you know. And uh, also great to see that you're getting some recognition now from awards and stuff like that that is kind of creeping in and people realize, like, hey, this is, you know, a valid (laughs) creative endeavor. And... uh, Actually, huh? Story time. If I go back to 1998, I uh, was involved with doing this local, very local uh, TV show thing, uh, talk show thing, and uh, we decided to give out a casting director award. And uh, so we had a, a couple like, who do you like? Who do you like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it ended up being like, okay, we really like uh, Lynn uh, Stallmaster. Uh, for many reasons, but I think mainly because he casts Superman and found Christopher Reeve back in the day, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we called him up, actually, and he was really fun to talk to and was pleased that this little group of, like, 19-year-olds in Sweden was like... Swedish kids, yeah, yeah that's really yeah, funny. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny that you thought to do that when you were a kid like that. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I wanted uh, Francine Maisler to get it because... She was doing some interesting stuff back then, uh, yeah. But uh, but anyway, how did you even get into it, being a casting director? Well, totally by accident. I um, was uh, I had this theater company in Prague, of uh, you know, for the English language, English language theater. And so when all the big films started to come to Prague to shoot, I knew all the actors who spoke English, yeah. so they would just call me up and. Um, The first time I did it, we were right in the middle of a production season, and they called the theater office and uh, said, hey, do you have some actors? And so I did it. I think they offered me, I don't know, it just it seemed like a lot of money back then. Um, it, I don't think it was very much, but I mm. just, I gave it all that to the theater company. I mean, I basically just, and all I had right. no idea what I was doing. I, they just said, hey, can you call in some actors? I didn't have a camera. I mean, it it really was literally like, um, it was for this film called uh, Love Lies Bleeding, which was about Jack the Ripper. And um, the director just kind of sat there in a chair, and I just kept inviting actors in and doing what we do um, in theater. Like when I had my theater company, if we wanted to cast it, the actors would just come in and do the script, or like Mm, we'd give them mm. some scenes and they'd just do it, and we'd... You know, just yeah, yeah. like we didn't tape them or anything, and so I just—that's what I knew how to do, and uh, so that's what I did. So and the director had to remember them. As well, he had a Polaroid. Yeah, Polaroid camera. That's model stuff. Though. Isn't that yeah, hilarious? Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, nobody uses pair, uh, Polaroids anymore either. And uh, no, yeah, I had no idea yeah. what I was doing. Honestly, I had. No, I mean, all I knew about casting is what we did in the theater, and then. I actually played a role in it. it, it you know, I was acting but back then, too. Mm. Um, and um, <laughs> I played um, Jack's first victim, <laughs> oh. Polly. 
And um, I, I think it's really, I'm very happy that um, this film is not easy to acquire <laughs> because I really would not want anybody to see my performance in it because right, I was really yeah. awful. Yeah, we I all did have this those. really horrible Dick Van Dyke Cockney accent. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, my God. I was dreadful. All right, Governor. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't even know if it was that good. And, um, yeah, I had two scenes, and I just remember lying there on the cobblestones and the director saying, okay, Nancy, when I say action, don't breathe. You know, it's kind of yeah, like yeah, they're yeah, playing yeah. a corpse. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah I don't know her really, but I, an acquaintance of a friend of mine is uh, playing in... Um, Oh, oh! What's the show? It's a sh- basically a show about uh, an investigation about a, a homicide, and so this girl has to play a corpse through a whole season of television. And I think she won awards for acting, but the only thing she's doing is lying there being dead. But she's, she's doing that still. so good, yeah. you know. So cute. Yeah, special type of. Um, I didn't win an award for that. Okay, so did you breathe after action? <laughs> I didn't, but I still. Didn't still, win. no, no. Maybe it was just too too small of a part. <laughs> that's kind of fun as well because you worked on From Hell later, so that's yeah, also and Jack then the Ripper. I did. <laughs> I've done two Jack the Ripper films. Yeah, and you. And now I live in London in the area where Jack the Ripper was. So. Oh, do you? He's right. like a constant theme. Somehow keeps coming back. Let's hope he doesn't. Not too much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but oh, do you want to tell that funny story? But you were supposed to actually be in uh, From Hell as well, weren't you? But were cut uh, cut out. I was cut out of it. Yes, this, yeah, the one with Johnny Depp. Mm. I think I'm in the background, maybe in in some shot. But um, oh, you mean the story about when I met Johnny Depp? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, I was. Um, I was playing the landlady, and I, uh, they gave me this horrible, you know, ugly costume, and then they uh, put horrible, you know, makeup on me, so it looked like I had a, you know, a chalky, sooty face, and mm. then this ratty hair, and then they, mm. and then I was supposed to be kind of a mad cat lady, so they gave me a cat, and the cat <laughs> peed on me, and I had cat hair oh, and cat beautiful. piss, and and then I met Do- Johnny. Yeah, that's how I looked when I met Charm. Johnny. Yeah, it was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and that's then later, I cat. went back. I kind of like fixed up and went back to set and tried to find him. But yeah, <laughs> Johnny, it's it me. Was, I didn't have a chance with Johnny. No, <laughs> no, no. Okay. Well, it was just not meant to be. <laughs> wasn't I meant guess. to be. No, no. <laughs> wasn't meant to be. <laughs> right, but how did it then grow from there when you f- did your first thing with the Jack the Ripper film? Oh, okay. What? And then, um, yeah, and then they just kept calling me. Um, there was a, the next one was um, the Scarlet Pimpernel. And uh, mm. and that's really how I learned because I had Andy Pryor was there. Andy Pryor is the casting director from London. And um, he does the Doctor Who series now. And so he yeah. was the first kind of casting director, proper casting director that I worked with. And so he taught me that the, he was one of the many great casting directors who taught me the craft of, hmm. of casting. Um, but I really just kind of learned as I went, I mean, as the films came in, I mean, of course I did get a camera eventually and, and, you know, figured it all out, but I, it was trial and error. And, hmm. I remember even one time doing a session, and Meg Lieberman was there. Meg is, um, she's the head of CBS Casting now, and at the time we were doing um, Anne Frank, for which we all were nominated for an Emmy Award, 
And um, she came in, mm-hmm. and the director was there, producer, and she said to me at one point, oh, uh, so how do we know which actor's which? And like, mm-hmm. I didn't even know this technique of, technique of slating, you know? Like when, uh, you put, okay. when you put the name of the actor, you know, a slate with the name of the because I knew all the actors, so I would just kind of mm-hmm. put them out there. Yeah. Um, or they maybe, the or they maybe say their name or something, but you don't always understand their name because they, you know, it was a weird check name or something. So mm. yeah, but that's just an example of how I had to, you know, I had to learn as I as I went. Yeah, but did you find quickly that you had some kind of eye for it? Well, I was already a theater director, so yeah. I already knew how to work with actors. That part I knew. Um, so it was just the techniques that I had to. I mean, just you know how to operate a camera and. Um, and then I uh, didn't know very much about film acting, so I had to kind of learn that as I went. And as I learned it, I broke it down so that I could teach it because I noticed that so many actors um, struggled with that because most actors are just trained in theater. Yeah. And as you know, because you're a graduate of the program, I started the acting program at the Prague Film School just mm-hmm. because I saw a need for that. And... Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure how many years I was casting, quite a few, I think, when I started teaching and I started to realize that there was really um, a need for for teaching as well, um, teaching camera technique, on-camera on technique, audition technique, that, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I learned it. Um, I was able to teach it because I had to learn it with the actors, kind of mm-hmm. what, what works in front of the camera and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when do you find that step happened, though, from where you were in the beginning to, well, I guess you're the only one doing it in Prague, so when Mission Impossible comes along, it must be you. You know, Were you the obvious choice for big productions that came into? Yeah, for quite, for quite a while, yeah, yes. Yeah. yes. Hmm. So uh, it just one thing just led to another, yep. in, in a way. Yep. Well, I was, um, I was offered uh, Born Identity. I'm trying to think. I hadn't been doing it oh, yeah, that long. Hmm. And... Um, I, it's kind of funny because when I look back at, at it now, and this is a story I've told before, this is on record, but like mm. I, at the time I was doing something else. I don't remember what it was. And I almost just turned it down. I was like, oh, you know what? I'm too busy to Okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, right now you'd never, I mean, I think they're done with the Bourne films, but you know, I mean, it's quite, it turned into quite a big franchise. Oh, yeah. And um, nice. at the time, I I didn't quite I kind of you know take it in. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was I mean I mean Matt Damon wasn't that big of a star even. In yeah, Bar-Bar, he was so. though somehow. I mean I knew him. I knew who he was. He wasn't nobody. Yeah, it was post Goodwill Hunting. So um, he had blown up, but yeah. But anyway, yeah. How did you end up doing theater stuff? To begin with, like, have you done that before? Well, I mean, my major was theater. I mean, that's what that was my passion for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was like my degree was in theater, and yeah, and I was doing that already. You know, before I came here, and Mm -hmm. uh, in where was that? Where where did you go in? Uh, Well, I was. uh, I grew up in New England, and then I went to school in the Midwest, and then I went to move to Chicago and. Um, started uh, or was one of the founding members of a couple of different theater companies in Chicago. Um, Straw Dog is still there. I was mm-hmm. one of the early members of Straw Dog Theater, and I was working with Theater Ublek, which is a theater that it's a playwrights theater more, but they're still going. Um, 
And uh, so, yeah, and then uh, it was uh, in the 90s when uh, Václav Havel came to our attention. Mm. He was a famous uh, playwright and a dissident and human rights activist and philosopher. And mm. um, he was in prison, and there were petitions that came around um, the world basically to get Václav oh. Havel released, and they mm. w- they very often they went to theater communities. So I was in a theater community because in Chicago. Because it was Chicago. a playwright. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was a playwright. Yeah, he was yeah. a man of the theater, mm. and so we were like, "Yeah, sign the petition, get this guy out of prison." And so that was in 1989, and uh, and then turns out he got out of prison. He became president. Yeah, like you know, first time I ever signed a petition where it actually worked. <laughs> and um, mm. then, uh, so then that was when the wall came down and there was this huge flowering here in Prague and a lot of expatriates from many different countries came over, were drawn to the kind of the mystique of, you know, what it was going to be behind the Iron Curtain. And so I came mm. over and then eventually got hooked up with Black Box Theater, who some of my, my uh-huh. friends started, and um, and then they kind of moved on and passed the baton, and I became the artistic director of, of Black Box, and uh, yeah, so that's how it started for me. They were really crying out at that time for English teachers, too, and I had yeah. done some teaching of English as a second language, and... Uh, they, it was a time when they really, really wanted people like me to be here. Mm. And you must have been like really the first batch of expatriates coming here, I guess. And yeah, I was one of the the early ones. Yeah, there mm. were people who came before me because by the time I got here in '93, Black Box was already had already been established. Yeah. So okay. you know, there were people who came as early as '90, even, and mm. you know, '89, mm. '90. You must have seen a lot of change happening in this city over the years, and uh, must have been very interesting to see that happening. Because I, I think the first time I came here, I just came here on a vacation trip in two thousand and seven, and only those few years between then and when I came here to stay and go to the school in twenty eleven, I felt like there was some kind of difference that happened, like with the kind of gentrification thing and everything, and. Uh, what do you think is like the the big thing that has happened with Prague uh, over the years? And well, there's not one big thing, but of course it, uh, you know, it was it was a, a socialist country. I mean, when I first got here, uh, you know, there was just in the very very early years of the transition. So you know, you still had these experiences where you'd go into a store or a snack bar and they had run out of food or whatever Mm, it was mm, or mm. you'd have some kind of funny encounters like one time we uh near my office there was a store and we wanted to buy a whole bunch of bottles of water and just stock up on them and have them in the office and Mm. and the store owner said but if you buy them all i won't have any left and i was kind of like well god where i come from it's good to you know sell sell things yeah exactly (laughs) So what do you need them for (laughs) other reasons than yourself? (laughs) So you had those kinds of very funny encounters when I first got here. You know, you still had this kind of, you know, crumbly old world, you know, mentality. And and back then um, you still had the, you know, we said the babichkas ran the city. They had the old ladies that were, the old ladies in slippers, you know, at the... 
um, the Vratnik, you know, that which is the Czech word for porter, which is, you know, basically, um, you know, the people at the front of the building who would kind of decide yeah. if you got to come in or not. Like and, a doorman, um, kind of, yeah. And I remember I had this office on Anenske Namjesti, and um, one day I came in, I drove my car through, and they said, well... We're going to have to look at your trunk tomorrow because uh, we're changing the heating. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. what are and I asked my assistant, I said, I just really don't really get what they were saying. You yeah, know, yeah. So they said it in check. And I said, well, it was something about the heating. It just didn't make any sense. I don't understand mm-hmm. why they'd have to check my trunk. And she went and asked them and she said, oh, they're changing the heating. So they want to make sure that you're not stealing a radiator. <laughs> <laughs> because it was that, that's what okay. people used to do, apparently. You oh, know? right, yeah. Um, so just funny things like yeah. that used to happen. And um, and you saw a lot more in, the, you know, the film industry, um, they started a lot early, you know, when the curtain came down and all that, even in the early days, you had the BBC coming here and some big film productions. And mm-hmm. they, they got kind of a bad reputation because they would... Um, they hadn't quite learned. I think the Czechs didn't quite trust that maybe this period was going to last, you know, and so they were just trying to make quick bucks, you know, and you saw this okay. kind of all over the place, like people were trying to make fast money from foreigners. And so it was more right. like, okay, let's see how much money we can get now rather than, okay, let's do good business and keep them coming back. So you had situations, for example, like where a film company would come in and the locals would say, okay, well, um, we forgot to tell you it's 7,000 crowns extra or $7,000 mm-hmm. extra for parking or something like that. Um, right. And um, anyway, they've learned not to do that. I mean, it's, it's more of an a even keel place now. I think that, you know, it's taken, you know, what has it been, almost 30 years, 30 years, mm. 30 years this year. Yeah. But I would say that people are running good businesses now and... Mm. Um, you know, there's still corruption, um, mm. but there's corruption everywhere. Yeah, and in politics and everywhere, kind of. So, yeah. But I mean, in every country now, oh, including yeah, the country yeah. where where I was born. So, I can't say that it's a Czech thing that there's corruption. But in any case, I think that there's more of an even keel of doing business here um, that is, you know, it done in more of a sane way okay like okay we're gonna do good business and Mm -hmm, good mm -hmm. business ethics and the people will come back yeah 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 you want return business so and um how has that been with i mean one of the reasons the big production has come to prague has been because it's cheap from like tax reasons and stuff like that um wasn't it something about being very cheap to be in Prague in the 90s, and then a bit later on, they made it more expensive, so it kind of scared the uh, big productions well, away they for came, a while. Well, they came because it was cheap, and then what happened is all of the countries around were cheap too, and they offered tax incentives, and then the yeah. Czechs weren't on board with that for quite a while, so then there was a lull. And yeah. then we had people who um, really actively lobbied for the tax incentives so that we could be mm-hmm. competitive with Hungary and with Germany and with the other countries. Yeah, yeah, because it feels like uh, Budapest has been taken over a little bit for what Prague maybe used to be. It's pretty even now, but for a while it wasn't, yeah. Yeah, because it's kind of been coming back now. It's A lot of things are happening here. Yeah. So, yeah, well, what kind of um, projects did you work on then after 
the, the ones we've been mentioning, like uh, uh, the Born Identity and then... Well, the I've worked on all different kinds of projects. I mean, when you start your career in Eastern Europe, you do end up working on a lot of kind of depressing Holocaust films, I have to say. And, oh, right. Um, yeah, you get, you know, kind of vampires and those kinds of stories, and you get a lot of period stories. And, yeah, there's um, been underworld stuff, and yeah. But I... Um, you know, as uh, as time has gone on, I've gotten more and more international in my work, and that's why I have the office in London now too. Is because I I find it more interesting to you know to be broader. You know, I started mm. my career firmly as a, a locals casting director, yeah. which I'm still happy to do that kind of work. But I've been going to film festivals all over Europe for quite a while now, and mm. so I'm very I'm familiar with the the talent all over Europe. And um, of course, the the first port of call is is London for the American film and yeah. TV series when they're coming over, just because that's the greatest con- concentration of uh, English speaking actors. So it's good. It's very good to have an office there too. So I have mm. an office in um, in Shoreditch now, which is um, it's a fun place uh, to be as well. Yeah, and I go is. back and forth between mm-hmm. London and Prague. So, um, what has been kind of your um well, method of finding uh, all these actors around Europe. I know you do this like masterclass uh, teaching and stuff. Is that one of your like tools? Uh, it's the same at the same time as it's a good thing for the actors to learn stuff. Yeah, I haven't been teaching so much lately, um, but I have done so over the years. And as you know, I started the uh, the program at the Prague Film School. Mm. Um, I do think it's important for actors to be. Um, you know, to keep their skills honed and to, um, you know, to drop in a class every now and then. I think American actors are more kind of, they consider that more normal than European actors. There's a lot of coaching and and all of that in L.A. Mm, Definitely. Um, It doesn't have to be with a casting director. I mean, there are coaches... um, and uh, but it's it's I do think it's important to get in front of the camera often and and uh, and practice your your skills. Yeah, and then on stage uh, in between. Yeah, those or things. again, yeah, and yeah. yeah, if you like theater acting, that's great too, of course. Yeah, well, uh, I've been talking to so many actors about all this. Like, what do you prefer and why? And some of them think that it's really important to step off the stage and do other things and really mix it up as well to hone all sorts of skills and keep it interesting and fresh for yourself as well. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, but w- what do you think is uh, important for an actor to to do to hone their skills if they don't really have access to classes or whatever? Well, some actors get together in groups and they do like self-tape groups and help each other out and give each other comments. And, mm. you know, in fact, there's, I'm sure these exist where you have like kind of um, groups on Facebook or whatever, where people are watching each other's work and helping each other. And Yeah, um, I found that there are a lot of Facebook groups. Uh, there's even one I uh, joined recently that is called Actors Helping Actors or something like that. Oh, good. But the problem with those are that it's just people promoting themselves, even though it may not be in the rules that much, but it's you just get tired of looking at people being like, 
hey, this is me. I just booked this commercial. Yeah, good for you. I, mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, it can be that way. So that's why it's maybe better to get with you know people you know or people you went to school with or friends or mm, whatever. Yeah, create a network. Yeah, people helping each other. Yeah, partly why I do this podcast: create this network of people and um, have them be inspired by other people's stories. And uh, but what are your your own methods in your own work? What, what do you do? How do you collect actors? And uh, what's the process? Um, well, it's just each each project is so different. So it's it's very um, specific to the project. I mean, I. Uh, sometimes there'll be a project that really requires for me to look outside of the box, you mm. know. Um, In what way? Um, well, I mean, for example, uh, if I'm casting something in Prague that needs Chinese actors or something, mm. um, or like a very specific role, like somebody who maybe is missing a leg or, you know, you have to go into another community or you need to. And I mean, that's an, that's like a growing kind of, um, thing now with, uh, casting actors with disabilities. It wasn't so big when I first started casting, but now we have a whole database of actors with disabilities in London, but mm. it doesn't exist so much in, in other countries. So that's like a time where you might have to go outside of your regular, group of actors that you know mm. so do you see a shift in some ways there that has it become more and more that you want to cast people who are what they are supposed to be in the film or tv show well like yeah i think that's been the case for quite some time yeah you want to cast authentically when you can yeah okay so uh, you know, in the same way, if you want a black actor, you're not going to get a white actor and paint their face. No. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so Def- it's the same. It's the same with um, actors with disabilities. If you need somebody with one leg, you know, instead of doing it with a, you know, with a f- special effects, it's great if you can find an actor with only one leg. Yeah, yeah. Unless you, know? you want a name, I guess, like the Gary Sinise and uh, Forrest Gump. You know, where they actually took them out and. <laughs> And um, I guess sometimes that's also a selling point. Look how well they did in this movie with the special effects to make this guy look like he's disabled. I don't know, you know. Um, but this is an interesting discussion, I, I think, uh, with because we're coming into the area of representation and all that. Have you been involved with anything like having to cast somebody who's transgender or all that stuff? Um, well, I think that the trend now is more that if you um, have a role that's kind of nondescript, um, you could cast a transgender actor. You know, like my friend Russell Boast was casting a TV show, and he just decided randomly that the mayor was going to be transgender. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why yeah. not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I... Uh, have a project coming up where we definitely need some, um, um, not necessarily transgender, but um, cross-dressing actors, or roles, the Mm. roles are cross-dressing. And um, the producer already said to me, oh, well, we should definitely give a chance to, you know, the gay gay actors. And, you know, that's all well and good, Mm. but it presents another kind of problem because then... 
an agent friend of mine told me about this problem she had recently where there was a casting director that was saying, you know, we want gay actors, these are gay roles. And then she was put in the very yeah. awkward position of having to, you know, determine which of her actors were gay or oh, which yeah. she doesn't necessarily know what they're doing with their, you know, with their, no, in their personal it, life. It may be private. <laughs> and it, it may be private. They may not have come out to their parents even. So. Exactly. So it's kind of, uh, it presents this whole different kind of problem, doesn't sure, it? Sure. Yeah. So she it, didn't have like a box they take. Yeah, like, yeah exactly. Straight, gay, Yeah. You don't uh, necessarily ask that of no. somebody like, are, you know, what are you doing with your dick? You know, you just don't say that. Mm -hmm. um, and you don't want to make that a criteria as to whether they get the job or no. not. So it's an interesting kind of new world in that way. I mean, there are like, for example, the first time I kind of noticed it was when they did that project called Stonewall, which was about, well, Stonewall, mm. you know what Stonewall mm -hmm. is. Um, and there were complaints from the gay community that they didn't cast gay actors. I mean, you, this comes up a lot these days. Yeah. And um, but you can see that there's a different kind of problem that surfaces because also gay actors for many years have been playing straight, which is fine, yeah, you know, and yeah. uh, straight. And I think it's a feather in someone's cap if they can pull it off, you know, playing whatever that's not them because that's what acting is. Mm, mm, mm. So anyway, yes, um, it's a, it's kind of it gets slippery, let's say. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> but of course, I mean, that is nice if you can, you know, if there's a transgender role and you cast a transgender actor. I mean, there was a big controversy around that with the, with the movie Girl, you know, Girl. It's about um, this, uh, uh, a boy who wants to be a girl, a ballet dancer. And um, it was oh, directed yeah. by a cis director. And then this got, this was a big outcry mm. in the gay community that it was like straight man playing that and that feeling was it should have gone to a an actual transgender person and uh yeah so it does get slippery yeah i think i remember it was some kind of controversy around dallas buyers club as well because jared leto was playing a transgender yep. and, yeah um, which he did a beautiful job at doing but mm -hmm. then again yeah and then that we get into that whole discussion about You know, what's better to, you know, better for a production, of course, to cast somebody who will put asses in seats because they're known, uh, but then counter might be somebody better suitable out there just around the corner even, you know. Yeah, and, um, I mean, we we're, but the fact is that we are very um, aware of it now in casting, and I'm um, a very active member of the Casting Society of, the, of America. I just mm. stepped down, actually. I was on the National Board of Directors, and I was the head of the European chapter of Casting Society of America until okay. very recently. Um, and we have a program at CSA where we have um, Trans Day, where we have one day where we say, okay, everybody who is in this kind of... Um, Uh, categorization of being, um, you know, trans or whatever, come in and uh, do your material for us. Mm -hmm. And we'll watch it, and, and then we'll be aware of you. Mm. And um, we'll give you a platform, because those, those actors often say that they're not considered. So um, we have an actual a database of the... We have those actors on record so that we know how to find them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. When, we, when we specifically need them. Mm. And then, of course, they have all the, uh, the outlets that other actors have. I mean, the fact is that you know yeah. yourself, Peter, it's not easy being an actor, even if you're, you know, somebody like you who's, you know, able-bodied. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, um, enough. You know, 
<laughs> no, I mean, look, you're you're able-bodied, you're good-looking, you have everything going for you, and it's still hard, right? Oh yeah. So, you know, it, it, all actors have um, have it hard, and but of course, the the actors with disabilities or actors who are, let's say, LGBT or, um, you know, feel like they have a reason to be discriminated against. They think it's harder yeah. for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And or if they're, let's say, you know, um, they feel like there's not enough roles for their particular um, uh, racial identity or whatever. Yeah. Um, they feel like that's uh, they're being discriminated against or whatever. But uh, uh, the fact is, it's it's really difficult for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> and I think it's never been a better time to be an actor with you know of an alt. Let's just for lack of a better way of saying it, is uh, you know alternative to you know what once was the studio norm. You know, like right. white, good looking. Um, kind of all-American looking, I think that it's it's never been a better time to be alternative to that. Probably not, since there are so many shows, there are so many movies, and it's easier to make things, uh, easier to make indie stuff, so a lot of stories are being told about those people as well. But there's so. incentives to cast people of all different types of identities as mm. well now. Yeah. I mean, there's active there's active incentives towards it. Yeah. Yeah. I sometimes wonder, and you might say yes or no to this, to be physically um, unusual in some ways, like if you're a little person or if you're abnormally big or something like that. And let's say you're in a, an area where things are being shot and uh, at the same time there may not be many actors uh, around, so you are the go-to person if they need somebody like that. Is mm -hmm. that a big help, do you think, to actually be very unusually looking as an actor? Or a... Well, I think it can help a lot to have a niche, you know? Mm. You know, I mean, you yourself, you were had a role in Snowpiercer with Clark mm. Middleton, right? Mm -hmm. And he's got mm -hmm. a niche because he's oh, yeah. very unusual looking. He's, exactly. Um, and uh, he uses that to his advantage. Oh, he does. I mean, um, he got Twin Peaks, the return, so... Uh, I, I guess that's like a type that David Lynch was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. You know? uh, so yeah. Now, of course, he's not going to probably play the, the, the leading man and he's not going to be the next James Bond or whatever, but, no. you know, most people aren't going to be the next James Bond. <laughs> no, exactly. That's kind of my point. Like, yeah. if... If you look very, very normal in all manner of ways, then you may not get anything because there are... Too like, many normal people. Like, yeah, and people, too many yeah. parts like that. So many, too many actors to fight for those small things. I don't know. You know? Yeah. Um, but then again, like, if you look very physically different, there may not be that many parts at the same time. Well, I always tell actors just to take the, their lives in their own hands and make their own work. I mean... I'm like a broken record that way. Anybody who's studied with me or read my books or anything um, knows that I say that all the time, that if you feel like nobody's writing for you, write for yourself or yeah. get somebody to write for you or hmm. write your own story. Yeah, show what you can be, what you can be cast as. Yeah, absolutely. Or do your own uh, show or whatever, you know. You know, you're doing a form of it now because you're doing a podcast or, you know, do whatever to get yourself and your work and your passions yeah, out there. Yeah, yeah. And I did the the web series I did, just a small thing. Um, 
And the, the reason I did that was because it's a comedy and it's in Swedish and I didn't have any stuff in Swedish and I didn't really had any stuff where I could show, show that I could do comedy as well. Plus the big thing that was fun to do. So uh, now I have that on YouTube, so I can send that out. Like if somebody wonders how I sound like with my own dialect, yeah, Southern Swedish go. dialect, I'm like, oh, this. Even though it may not be production value super perfect, then it's out there. That's actually a good question to you. Like, do you think, will it hurt somebody to be in shoddy looking things too much? Like, uh, would that brand somebody as being amateur if they show You don't want to send stuff out there that's shoddy looking, no. No, okay. To what degree do you think? Like, uh, Well, you can get, I mean, I, I'm not sure why you're asking because it's not that hard to get good quality stuff, you know. I mean, even on an iPhone, it can look pretty good. So. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think my own uh, threshold of what is like good enough is very high. So <laughs> I, I'm not sure it's the same for everybody else. Because yeah, yeah. if I watch my stuff with a fellow filmmaker or somebody who's reached a professional level they would be like yeah okay i wouldn't have made that cut and i wouldn't have you know and the sound could be a little bit different there but if i watch it with somebody who is not in the business or something they they're like yeah it's it's good isn't it you know so i i think it depends on what kind of eyes you look at it with as well um but okay, and that leads us smoothly into the big question. Is it better to be great in a kind of bad film than to be fine in a great film? <laughs> I don't know if I have an answer to that. <laughs> no. But, um, yeah, I mean, for the purposes of a show reel, I don't think that the, the casting director or whoever's looking at it really cares about the, the film. They're looking at your work in the reel or whatever. So. Mm-hmm. so it doesn't really matter in a show reel that it looks like, oh, this is a big budget thing. They managed to get into that. Um, well, of course that helps, you know, if you have a big budget thing. Yeah. Okay, it doesn't. If, if they're opposite. If or, you're good in it, yeah. If you're good in it, yeah, 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 sure. And if you're opposite somebody who's actually a known face, it might that might be a... Sure, it shows that, you know, that you are good enough to hold the scene with that person. I don't tend to make rules, you know. Um, right. My the only rule I would say is do whatever makes you look good and what sells you well, you know. Yeah, I'm just uh, thinking that that might be very hard for an actor to see themselves. Well, yeah, that you is. should you know ask around, ask your agent, and get feedback on it. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because sometimes it's a bit of a guessworky thing, even when it comes to things like. Well, you have been talking about a lot, like headshots. It's uh, that's a guesswork as well. It's, does this look like me? Really? Does this <laughs> really represent my type? What is my type? And all you know, <laughs> ask all those questions. And to I can say that for myself. I feel like those questions never go away. They're not set in stone. Uh, even though, of course, one reason is that you change, but also like. You try things like, did this headshot give me work? Maybe not. So, okay, I'm mm. going to try another one for this, uh, th- these six months or, you know, whatever. Um, so, yeah, w- would that be the same answer? Like, try to just ask around and uh, see what other people say? And, uh, yeah, of course you need to have feedback, yeah. Mm. 
I think so, but from the right people. You know, like I always make the joke that it's not the picture your mother likes necessarily or the one that your girlfriend likes or whatever. It's no. it's the one that gets you the work. So that's where you have to ask, you have to get professional feedback from your agent or, you know, I mean, your agent is obviously a good person because they know kind of what, which photo is being responded to, et cetera. So. Yeah, they, yeah, of course, they, they may. Mm. And they know what kinds of roles are coming in and what kinds of roles that you play well. And they can, you know, that's why you have an agent or a manager mm, or yeah. a coach or whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, yeah, anybody who might have a good eye for it for a, for a reason, you know, I guess. Just as late as today, I got some feedback on like, you, do, you look a little bit younger in your headshot. Mm-hmm. Should I do that's not good. No, maybe it's not good. <laughs> well, you should look the age that you're actually playing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's kind of hard to set as well. So I keep asking people, I go, okay, so how do you, when people ask me, how old are you? Well, how old do you think I am? Yeah, yeah. You shouldn't. Uh, I don't know if they do it in Sweden. They do it in a lot of countries where they make you put your birth date, uh, yes. birth year down, which I just I think is absolutely wrong because... <gasps> It really doesn't matter. It just matters no. what you what your playing range is on screen. Yeah. So. No. No. I've gotten in uh, like email fights basically with some people in in Sweden. It was like, yeah, great, yeah, 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 absolutely. I'm going to put you in my files. So, but but just uh, how old are you? And I'm like, that's not important. But how that's old how do you they. Think I yeah, am? that's yeah. how they file it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. She but said they that. should they should file it by by age range, not age. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, or maybe some kind of type. Some other but I can't system. change it. I can't change Sweden. That's what I always say when no, no. actors complain no, in my no, classes. No, no. I no, I, I, no, I'm just, uh, I'm just bitching a bit here. No, no I know. I know. I've it, heard that, it a lot. That was exactly what she said. No, but I got these folders with ages, you know, years. Mm. So I got to put my movie stars in somewhere. I know. But, yeah, but okay. But if you're looking some, for somebody to look 38... You might have somebody yeah. that looks perfect that who is twenty five. You yeah. miss him. And the fact is, it's exactly. It's not always about looking. I mean, actors. When, whenever you start having this discussion, people assume that uh, you're you're better off all the time if you look younger, which is not at all the case. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, it's. I know actors who've played older than their age. You know, which can be also be a huge um, advantage depending on what's needed. I mean, I have a mm. friend who uh, was just an early bald and um that actually helped him when he was in his you know 20s and 30s he was playing much older when there weren't other actors available to play that right so so you know the point is yeah it's not about wanting to look younger necessarily it's just about you know being able to to look a certain age on screen interesting question like today how how old would you cast me as kind of what would be my range um, I guess it looks like you're still playing 30s to me. Mm, right. Because I also have a very silvery hair now when I'm not dying it. So I, yeah, I, so I you have... could play probably into the early 40s because of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I have pictures everywhere where, where I actually put dyed hair, natural hair, so they know that, yeah. okay, this is not an old picture, it's just when I, it's dyed, yeah. so I can look like this. Yeah, know? yeah. Uh, and that, I guess that's smart, or... <laughs> yeah, I guess you're playing young father, early f- mm. 40s. Which to me sounds strange, because I'm not a father, so it's like, yeah. really, me? <laughs> <laughs> it's so foreign to me, you know. So, but how, what, how do you file and categorize your actors? 
Um, let's see. I think we just have male, female, quite honestly. I mean, I don't, I don't mm. keep, I mean, we have a, a database in Prague. It's not, um, very advanced, you know, I mean, I still do. I mean, I, I, I am a firm believer in trying to do things correctly, which means that, um, I rely on agents to be the ones who are keeping records on the on the actors and, yeah. and like in a perfect world that's the way it works is that I go I post a breakdown and the agents respond now in Prague it's kind of a mess because you have a bunch of people running around being agents and casting directors which mm. is is not something I do I'm just a casting director mm. I don't ever represent actors but because of the mess we have in Prague, I do have to keep some kind of, you know, record of actors and database. But yeah, it's really pretty, pretty basic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, we have the cast list from the ones that we've done before. And we have, um, when everybody comes in, they fill out a sheet and, you know, um, we don't ask the age. We have pictures no. of people and... Um, yeah, I mean, the only time we really make a distinction is when they're un- underage. And then course, otherwise, yeah. we, mm. you know, we remember or we look at their picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we might look at a picture and say, oh, okay, well, that was five years ago. So <laughs> they probably look older now or, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah, may- maybe. <laughs> uh, but do you have a lot of pictures on file as well? Do you, yeah, of course. You we through? take pictures of everybody when they come in. You take pictures. Yeah, yeah. okay. And that way you know that this is those yeah uh, and we have to take from them and everything yeah yeah okay yeah but in london in london i don't do it that way in london i i use i mean of course i i keep my own lists and all casting directors do this we have lists of actors that we have that we you know we watch films uh we watch tv we watch theater and we just keep lists from the, the actors that we know and then um And then when I post a breakdown in London, I use the, the, the casting databases where, you know, Spotlight and all that, where, and then agents submit. Mm. So, um, you know, the, and they submit with, uh, you know, the pictures that are hopefully up to date. Yeah. So, and that's the way casting should work. And, you know, I hope that it, you know, we're working towards it here in Prague, working that way. I mean, it's... Um, I'm hoping that it's starting to professionalize a little bit more in some of the other countries where, mm, yeah, yeah. you know, where you really have people doing things properly. You know, they're either casting directors or they're agents. Yeah. Uh, you, you do use eTalenta, the site mm-hmm. as well, do you? Yeah. Yep. So that's kind of the spotlight of this area, I suppose. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. In Sweden, we have a, another, we have a stage pool, uh, which is mm-hmm. starting to become the go-to place. And they have a, um, Uh, they have a collaboration with Spotlight as well. So some Spotlight stuff that is casting a little bit wider uh, or could can go over to uh, to stage pool as well. So you get that through if you pay a little bit extra, of course. Uh, and that has helped a little bit for me, actually. Uh, it just seems like a good idea to be on every conceivable site. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it, it certainly can't hurt unless it hurts your bank account for some reason. And it then, does. <laughs> well, then you have to de- decide. But I know that Italenta has, there's there's one level of membership that's free anyway. Does, yeah. But anyway, whenever people ask me for kind of general advice, I mean, I I always say, well, I have a lot of advice in my book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, 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 you do, um, of course auditioning for film and tv it's uh and uh 
It's you a know, great book. It really helps. Oh, well, thank you. Um, I think it's, uh, you know, there, like you say, there are some things that need to be updated. Um, and I'm going to, the next one is going to be called In the Post Me Too Era. Um, oh, yeah. Just to kind of include that kind of um, stuff. Um and update a few things because there's always a few things that go out of date in my book just because the technology is moving so fast. Yeah. Um, so, but I, but I still think that the the most recent one is relevant enough. I don't think it's changed so radically. No, I think so too. And and you mentioned that you're going to do another version, but of course you can't say when that's going to be. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I haven't started it yet, and it has to be approved by the publisher and all of that. So mm. I'm still waiting on that. Anything else you want to plug? Like, uh, is there something that's been released recently that you have been working on? Well, you know, it's funny because I worked on something last year that um, I was really proud of, but unfortunately it really got attacked by the fans because it was based on a podcast And the podcast fans were used to a certain format, which when they did the second, it's called Lore, L-O-R-E. And the first season is, if you watch the first season and the second season, you'll see a very big difference between the first and the second season. And I did the second season, um, which, you know, was a departure from the way they did it in the first season. And the fans absolutely hated it so they started Mm. to um apparently they started to rate it or give it bad ratings before it was even out somehow because they got wind of the yeah Mm. and it was really a shame because uh anyway so that's what i would say anybody who hasn't seen the second season of lore Mm. and i emphasize the second season um please see it it's uh it's each one is distinct from the the rest and i and i really Loved working on it, and I loved I loved the people. I had great people I was working with, Gail Ann Hurd and oh, Sean yeah, Crouch. Yeah. And, um, so that's, a, that's something that was not well-received that I mm. thought was really good, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, I've, you know, I worked on some things that were well-received and were, um, you know, generally agreed were interesting and good, like uh, the, the Romanoffs with Matthew Weiner. And, uh-huh. um, yeah, and I still really liked... Um, Ophelia, which was a smaller budget um, independent film, which just came out um, in the last few months, so I would recommend that. Was with um, Daisy Ridley was in it, and Clive mm. Owen, mm. and uh, Naomi Watts, George Mackay. Um, so yeah. I just realized something I was thinking about earlier when I went to uh, the thing, your, the talk you had in London in 2015, you said something about that you sometimes feel like the writers uh, can kind of step on uh, the casting director's job sometimes, that they want to describe too much what they want. Uh, From my perspective, I actually think like writers are getting a little bit too little recognition sometimes because ultimately a lot of times it is their vision we're trying to, you know, make happen and manifest. Um, Writers are very important in the in the business. I sometimes make kind of glib remarks about writers only because um, what they're doing is they're trying to bring this 
the script alive and bring it off the page. So mm. sometimes when they, and I understand if you look at it from the writer's point of view, that's what they do, you know, and so they'll, they'll paint a picture of the character because they want to lift it off the page yeah. for the reader. For and they the have something in their mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so that's, I just, but so, so occasionally, I mean, not to, you know, downplay the importance of writers in any way, but just to make the point that um, it can get in the way of casting. If you, if they say something like, um, Oh, it's a blonde Marilyn Monroe type or whatever, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. I, then I feel like I'm stuck. I have to find a blonde Marilyn Monroe yeah. type when yeah. really it could be you know like a skinny black guy or something that could play the role or okay. whatever. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. that's an extreme, of course, but mm. you know what I mean. So sometimes I make they're almost kind of like ironic comments. So I, that's probably what I I don't remember mm. what I said, but that's probably the type of yeah, comment that was I was making. Of, yeah. That was the kind of deal. <laughs> so sometimes I just say to actors, just ignore the writer, and that's what I mean. Like, mm. don't let the writer's vision get it. Like, so so an actor will come in and they'll say, "Oh, but I'm not a Marilyn Monroe type," and then they'll feel like they're already doomed. Mm. So that's all I was trying to suggest when I said that. Probably that kind of happened uh, with me when because uh, you cast me on uh, Crossing Lines, uh, an episode of that, and I, I was a little bit apprehensive, apprehensive because it was said a scary guy, and I, am I really that? And then I, when I came here and started meeting. Uh, costumers and uh, makeup people uh, they were like no 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 but it's fine because it's an American yeah, yeah, show yeah. And you're the ver- version of a bad guy that they think in, in their mind well I'm not sure the makeup department said the right thing to you because basically the writer was always writing thugs and the producer said to me just forget about this idea of thug you know mm. he's just a guy and then he does these things and that's it so yeah yeah the, only, the only one I, I met was the uh, costume designer I think when they were going to find my clothes and I was like I don't know, let's find something so I can look kind of dangerous because I was supposed to be a scary guy. And she looked at me and said, yes, this is the problem. <laughs> yeah, but see, you shouldn't listen to that. See that, no. And that is a good example of the, the writer getting in the way, you know. And, mm. and then that influenced you because then you felt like you had to be scary or exactly. something. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, yeah. you know, people are, uh, you know, I, the character, I don't remember it so well, but I no, think no. he was just doing bad things. So, of course, the audience is going to think he was bad regardless of what he looked like, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and it, it turned out fine <laughs> in the <laughs> end, so, yeah. All right. And uh, where do we find you if we want to find you online uh, when it comes to social media or websites or whatever? Well, yeah, I do have a website, nancybishopcasting.com. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, I am publicly available. Um, you know, my, my I, anybody can reach me. I mean, I usually say, though, that, I mean, it just for actors to know is that I usually, I get minimally 10 emails a day from actors. Yeah. So it's really best to contact a casting director if you have something very specific to to communicate that mm-hmm. um you know might get our attention that you know has to do with maybe something we're casting at the moment or if you already know me and you want to invite me to or, you know like you're doing a show you want to invite me to something like that mm-hmm. or um yeah if you happen to know for sure that I'm casting um you know, let's say this is an obvious example, but let's say a karate movie and you're a, an actor who does karate, you know, that's a mm. good time to reach me. But mm. randomly contacting a casting director is not always going to um, yield results, let's say. No, that's a good way to end it, I think. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, all right. all right. Well, it's nice to see you again, Peter. Thanks for your interest in my work, and I hope it's been helpful to your listeners. I think it has been. All right. All right. See ya.